This is Blue Zoo Bird, presented by KT, a show dedicated to pet enthusiasts. Here's your host, Frank Reese. Welcome to Blue Zoo Bird, presented by KT. Appreciate everybody joining us. You know by now, you can catch us on Spotify, SoundCloud, iTunes, and podcasts.com. Also, you can go to bluezoobird.com as well. We have a list of uh, all the guests that have been on and uh, some upcoming guests as well. And when we come back from a short break, as we do, we will be joined by Michelle Rappin. This is Blue Zoo Bird, presented by KT. At KT, we know pets are part of the family. We believe in the incredible connection between people and their pets. That's why we are dedicated to providing the highest quality foods, habitats, and accessories to assure your pet's health and happiness. We create products you can trust because like you, we have a passion for pets. For over 150 years, the experts at KT have put their hearts into everything they do, establishing KT early on as an innovator in small animal and pet bird nutrition and care. KT is at the heart of healthy, happy pets. As we launch a new program, we bring a new guest to the table who hasn't been on before, so we welcome her with all kinds of claps. We don't have a soundtrack at the moment, but she is Michelle Raffin. Michelle, how are you? I'm quite well, thank you. I'm sitting here in the office at Pandemonium Aviaries, listening to, gosh, uh, probably 30 to 35 species of birds all singing and talking at the same time. Quite lovely. <laughs> uh, do, you, do you ever get a word in or no? Do I ever, ever get uh, tired of it? No. no. Do, you ever, um, do you ever get a word in into them because there's so many? Well, you know, birds have language, and um, we do talk back and forth, but I'm, I'm not as conversant in bird as I'd like to be. Well, I would um, like to introduce you to the audience, and if you could tell everybody a little bit about what you do, and because uh, I know we want to get into some stuff about saving birds, but I'd love to know a little bit of background about you. Um, absolutely. I'm happy to do that. I um, have been CEO of Pandemonium for over 20 years. And we are a species survival conservation organization. But my training and my background was in something totally different. I um, was a business person and very interested in growing businesses, not birds. But a chance encounter with a dove that was hurt by the side of the road 22 years ago um, just led me on this path of, of maintaining and running a bird sanctuary and um, doing what I can to save birds in the wild. It's, um, it's been an amazing but unexpected voyage. Where is the uh, sanctuary at? So we are in Northern California, and um, we are in a residential neighborhood. Um, luckily, we have neighbors to our understanding, but we have um, hundreds of birds. Uh, we started originally as a bird rescue for exotic birds that had nowhere to go, and they needed aviary. Um, we took our original birds from institutions, none from individuals. And then about 10 years ago, we transitioned to species survival. So we do captive breeding of species that are not being protected adequately in their countries of origin. Um, all of our birds are born in the U.S. 
they are, uh, or it's either they were born or their parents were born, I mean, none were taken out of the wild. But we have taken birds from from zoos, from rivers, um, confiscated birds, the fish and game confiscated, and we've provided sanctuary that enables them to live out their lives as birds. You know, they're not exhibits, they're not taught tricks, they simply have to be birds and hopefully raise families of babies um, that one day could be returned to the wild, should there be the need. What were some of the, um, in the early stages, what were some of the roadblocks when you were setting this up? Were there any? Well, I, I, you know, at the time there were a number of roadblocks, and most of it was due to lack of knowledge. There, um, there wasn't a lot known about how to care for these birds that, you know, came from other countries originally. Their, their species did. Uh, there were there were roadblocks in terms of determining adequate housing and um, adequate protocols for feeding. You know, luckily we had partners, you know, companies like KT, that helped us really determine nutritional needs and supported us in providing the adequate, you know, the appropriate food. Were you at all surprised by maybe the demand that all of a sudden happened when you uh, started this whole company and business? Um, I was surprised. And in fact, in the beginning, I thought it was natural that um, people asked me to take birds. I didn't realize that it was in part an unusual time in, in U.S. history. Oh, the United States had passed the Wild Bird Act a few years earlier before I found that bird. And that stopped the importation of birds from the wild. It was overwhelmingly a really good act. You know, before that, we were importing about 3 million birds. And, um, you know, for every bird that got here, um, there were some that died in capture and transport and quarantine. So we were taking a lot of birds out of the wild. After the Wild Bird Act, we were taking fewer than 3,000. So it was overwhelmingly positive for wild birds. But it had the unexpected effect of changing bird breeding in the United States. And bird breeders couldn't bring in new blood. So they changed their business practices and started breeding limited species. And we're just getting rid of any of the ones they didn't want to raise any longer. And some of those came to pandemonium, and we took them as a rescue. So you um, pretty much, was it set up that way originally, or it kind of just happened after they passed the laws and everything? Well, um, (laughs) no plan, no expectation. If I had seen what we do now, I don't know what I would have thought in those days. I just was responding to a need as it happened. And um, it was, I felt as though, you know, some people say they look for their path in life. I feel like a past on me. And um, it started with finding this hurt bird and taking it to a vet. And then in an attempt to figure out how, it was a dove, it was a white dove. Um, and then um, in the process of trying to learn about how to care for doves, I met a bird breeder who introduced me to others. And they started giving me birds that they um, didn't want to keep and who had nowhere to go. So it wasn't until I had probably about 150 birds in different aviaries that I woke up one morning and said, oh, my God, I've become a bird rescue. <laughs> it was very unexpected and sort of happened before I understood what was happening. So so the business plan that you were writing, you had to pretty much put it in pencil, right? Because it kept changing pro- probably every other week. Let's put it this way. There was no time for a business plan. <laughs> there was a lot of and a lot to learn. Um, 
you know, a lot of these birds came with compromise. They were sick. You know, they were injured. They, they, you know, there were problems with them. And then, you know, trying to figure out, you know, how best to support them was, was not easy. Um, it was, it, it, it led to, it has led to a very rich and varied and interesting life because I had to rely on the support of others to teach me. And as such, developed friendships and relationships um, and great respect for people who are trying to save animals. It's a group effort. No individual can do it um, successfully without enlisting the support of others. Does it help you at all being in the location you're at with the weather being, you know, not always uh, 20 below? Does that have anything to do with what you've done as far as setting it up? Well, I, you know, we look at it as, as, as wishing we were in a tropical setting because it does get cold and these, it doesn't get 20 degrees forever, but it gets cold enough to bother the birds. So we have to give supplemental heating. And that's, that's been challenging. It's been difficult in the winters. Um, you know, we have to keep their feet warm. And a lot of these birds come from places like New Guinea or the Philippines. And they not they didn't come, but their species is, was born there. And so and we do have to support them through the winters. And, uh, and then we have to provide humidity. That was very dry here. We have to provide humidity in the summers because they're used to rainforest conditions. So it's not perfect, but it certainly is better, I agree, than being someplace very cold where perhaps it would have been more appropriate to save penguins. Or <laughs> <laughs> is there, uh, there, actually, they have uh, penguins in the Bahamas. I never knew that until I had some bird experts on. I'm like, okay, I get it. Yeah, there you go. Do you, uh, do you have... Uh, turnaround where you are supplying birds to uh, loving families and homes? So that, that really it was one of the things that distinguishes a sanctuary from a rescue. Um, we, we were the, the, the depository for birds that had no other options. They were not adoptable. You know, and birds came to us from humane societies because they weren't suitable to be in people's homes. So there was no place for them to go other than a place that could provide big aviaries outside. So we don't have an adoption arm. We promise every bird who comes here lifelong sanctuary. Um, we stopped accepting birds probably seven or eight years ago um, due to resource limitations. You know, we recognized how many we could care for well and did not want to exceed those numbers. And it just by coincidence, we discovered 10 years ago that many of the birds who had come, you know, and needing homes um, turned out to be, be becoming very rare in the wild, rare, rare in aviculture. So we transitioned from just providing sanctuary to doing conservation breeding of six of these species. Wow. We've tried to increase their numbers. Um, and now we have some of the largest flocks in the world of these six species. Have you ever thought, about and maybe I'm talking out of turn here, but have you ever thought about adding to the business plan and almost making it a, for lack of a better term, a franchise across some states in the United States? It it would be wonderful if we had satellite. We we, we our our business model is Noah's Ark basically. Okay. <laughs> right. To keep them safe while the world is not safe for them, and then when the world becomes safe, you let them go again. And we're still at the point where. The world isn't safe. The wild isn't safe for them. So they're still on the ark. And it would be great if we had many arcs. The challenge is that it is very time-consuming, labor-intensive, and expensive. And so, I mean, I would be delighted to help anyone who wanted to engage in this work. But it is a lifelong commitment, and it 
taken all of my personal resources as well as, you know, changed how I've led my life because of the requirements of the birds. You know, we're bird-centric. We do what is best for the birds, and that's not always best for the humans. So it requires that mindset. Do you have any, I mean, because it sounds like you're doing phenomenal work, um, like, you know, where a National Geographic would support it, or do you have any affiliates with any of the um, national or public zoos? So we share information with zoos, and in fact, we have a number of former zoo birds. But because of our specialization, that our birds are not an exhibit, they're given privacy, um, we, our focus on breeding has led us to be successful um, in a way that an institution that is dedicated towards um, display would find difficult. You know, zoos would have to take birds and put them off display. And that's, that doesn't increase, you know, attendance. It's not interesting to the public. So our specialty really is growing genetically diverse flocks of large enough numbers so that should they go extinct in the wild, we would be able to repopulate the species in the wild by using our birds. You know, we're not there yet. I saw this as being a 20-year project. We're now in year 22, and there's no foreseeable release to the wild, at least in my lifetime. But should there be the need, at least we do have this reservoir of birds. I mean, we raise them to be as wild as we can. We, we have limitations. We, we don't have enough space. Um, so the birds are acclimated to people, they're not afraid of them, and that's not optimal. But we do the best we can until, you know, we get more land. Or, and so, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a solution that is imperfect, but it also is a solution. So, um, you know, it not being perfect has not stopped us from pursuing the work. No, it's, it's awesome, actually. Um, it, it sounds at times, too, uh, like... A lot of exhausting work. How many how many volunteers or people do you have working with you? Well, we have a small staff. We only have four on staff. We do use volunteers, but we don't use them to do bird keeping. Um, birds are very smart. They get custom to people. We have specific ways that we want to keep them. And, and so we basically use our volunteers to help us in marketing and fundraising and social media, you know, in other areas, picking up donations of fruit. You know, we, yeah. we, our birds live primarily on, well, a great deal on fresh fruits and vegetables. Those are donated by companies. So we have people who help us to get up and prepare it, things like that. How can people find out more about Pandemonium? Oh, please go to our website. Um, it's, it's pandemoniumaviaries.org. I wrote a book about our experience called The Birds of Pandemonium. So that's another way to find out about how we got started. Um, but our website has a lot of good information on it. And just Google pandemonium aviaries. I know it's hard. I even have trouble spelling it. <laughs> Pan- pandemonium is the flock name for parrots. And oh. I wanted to call us uh, Amor, peace and love in Spanish. That was my name. And my children laughed. They hysterically, like, Mom, how could you possibly <laughs> defy us as having peace and love? I love that there's no peace. So they chose pandemonium at the time. We didn't have parrots. We did not know it was the flock name for parrots, but it turns out that it is, and we now have hundreds of parrots. So um, pandemonium, hard to spell, but absolutely named. Oh, you can get it. Look, heck, half the half the stuff I put in Google gets spell corrected anyway, or, or spell checked. So it, it'll exactly. you, you can get to it. It's pandemoniumaveries.org. dot org. So dot org or dot com. It is yes. dot org. 
God's work. Yeah, we're is, uh, Michelle Raffin doing awesome work with the birds. She's going to be on a couple more times with some other interviews. Michelle, thank you so much. I appreciate the time. Pandemoniumaveries.org um, and all, you know, all the blessings to great work you guys are doing. Thank you so much. It's been fun. That is Michelle Raffin. Make sure you check out, and she also has a book, Birds of Pandemonium. Birds of Pandemonium Avery sounds really cool stuff. I, I, steady, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna spell that name right. You, you mark my words. We will be back again. Don't forget, check out KT.com for all your bird and aviary needs. Until next time, this is Blue Zoo Bird presented by KT. Thank you.